Welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lumberg from Altus Performance. And this week, Kim and I chat with one of our favorite guys in professional golf, Lori Cantor. We catch him right after playing in his very first WGC event at Concession earlier this year, which probably would have been the first times an American golf audience would see him. But if you follow the European tour closely, you'll certainly be familiar with Lori, especially considering his form in the last year where he's finished in the top 20 and nine of his last 17 starts, which included a top five at the season ending event in Dubai. And he's consistently been in the mix come Sunday beyond being in great form. He's just a really great guy to check golf with cam and i are co-presidents of the Lori cancer fan club he's our kind of guy very introspective very thoughtful uh love how he approaches improvement and getting better and in this chat he fills us in on some of the keys to his recent rise up the world golf ranks i went back and re-listened to this episode and i had a solid page of notes on some things that i'll be spending some more time thinking through and making part of my coaching listen carefully and you're going to have a similar experience and hopefully learn from a guy who has really figured out his formula. And as he says, he lets us into the inner sanctum and shares some of those secrets with us. So while you get out something to take notes with a shout out to our partners at total golf trainer, I feel like I've been seeing more and more golfers and coaches using this tool. We've been a day one proponent for the Total Golf Trainer as our cure-all training aid that has the most utility of any training aid on the market. And it's awesome to see them grow and more people figuring out what we've known for a long time. I had a new client last week that listens to the podcast and has heard us speak glowingly about the Total Golf Trainer. And at the end of the session, they were disappointed that I didn't find a way to integrate the TGT trainer into the session. So I was quickly able to revise his homework to include it. And that would definitely be the exception as it is an integral part of our daily coaching activity. And we highly recommend that you make it part of yours. Go to totalgolftrainer.com, purchase your very own TGT 3.0 kit and use the promo code earn your edge for a nice discount. And now you've had time to get your notepad out. So enjoy episode 83 of the earn your edge podcast with Lori Cancer. That's where I wanted to start because this is your welcome back to the podcast. This is yeah. your second time. This is the first time where I think we're both sober doing yes. the podcast together. Uh, we were 2018 at the Italian Open. We had Eddie Pepperell. And now here you are. You're coming off your first WGC. And I, I did want to start out there. I have a, a tweet that Eddie sent yesterday. And I'm, I'm only the messenger here. But he said, I just want to say congrats to my good friend, Lori Cantor who went all the way to Florida this week to putt like a clown and earn 40,000 pounds. That's my kind of guy right there. So it's good. You still have friends to keep you grounded, even in the face of all this recent success. But outside of the putting, that's what I wanted to ask you. You were able to kind of, and I guess outside of the golf course too, you were able to size up the competition. What, what do you feel like distinguishes that next tier of professional player from you know the, the next tier, I guess? I just did have to think about that question for to give you like a proper answer, I think. But we can, time. We can, we can just go. We can just go quiet. Yeah, radio exactly. silence, like Come pregnant, on, pregnant think. pause for three or four minutes. That's fine. <laughs> and then we can edit that out. <laughs> this is your chance. Like we're going to force reflection here on you. So like this will be it. part of your reflection process. Well, from what I saw last week, the difference is big. <laughs> um, it's big, and it's uh, you know I, you alluded to. I drove the ball well in Europe. That gives you. It gives you a big advantage on any golf course, right? We all know that. But last week's 
from, and that's all I have. My data of playing in America was that golf course sure. with that field. But I thought someone getting around there in 18 under four days was frankly amazing. And then there was three guys at 15 under, weren't there? So I realized I've chatted to a few of the guys. A lot of them say, you know, when you're playing that style of course week in, week out, of course you, you get little hacks here and there. But yeah, I, truthfully, um, being honest, it was it was a bit of a, to see that score, and granted, I didn't play well. You know, I can say I, didn't, I obviously didn't have my best week, certainly with my irons and around the green and on the green. But still, I was massively impressed with the, the level of scoring. Yeah, sample size being as small as it is, how difficult was it, or, or would you say it was, to acclimate to uh, the green surface? Because you don't see Bermuda grass all that frequently, particularly at this point in your season, right? And for anyone listening to this or anyone that hasn't been to concession, they don't understand the severity of the slopes out there around the greens. So not only Bermuda grass is a putting surface, but Bermuda grass is a chipping surface to number one, chip off, and number two, to try and land it short of the green. Case in point, pretty much any one of the greenside uh, shots or complexes, but most importantly, I guess most uh, most poignantly was hole number four. If you get left of the green, that par five out there, is that hole number three? Yeah, hole number three, the three, par five. Three, yeah. yeah. Left of the green, trying to bank it into that slope. We saw almost everyone make a mess of it. That was the common occurrence, wasn't it? Yeah. So it's. Um, I mean, obviously, I've done a bit with yourself at Trinity, and that's a type of Bermuda, isn't it? I yeah. Mean, it's well, Zoysia exactly grass and Bermuda out here. Yeah. Right. But it, it's. I guess it's the the firmness that it. How firm it is. How precise you have to strike the ball because, especially that shot on three, you've got to elevate it. I don't know, maybe like 15, 15 18 feet. And then kind of strike it well enough that it's even going to stay on the green the other side, unless mm-hmm. you kind of really jib out and use one of the slopes on the left or up the back. So again, that's just not a shot that you'd face a whole lot of. And it's uh, truthfully, I can't see you're not if you're hitting it consistently in that sort of spot, you're not really going to contend for tournaments anyway. So it's like a, you need to know how to play that shot, but equally know not to hit it there much. <laughs> that makes sense. So uh, yeah. yeah. It was, Particularly in that situation on that hole, that's why you saw so many guys trying to squeeze it down the right side and bounce off the cart path into the into the stuff on the right. You mentioned a word, jibbing out. Would you call him Murakawa for jibbing out when he was going hybrid off the back of the greens on what was it, um, uh, 11 the par three and then 12 just short of the green, chipping it up yesterday? <laughs> hybrid bump and run just to oh, avoid yeah, any was, disaster. Just a nifty little play, wasn't it? I think probably all these guys, they, they'll, I guess when you've played a number of rounds, you're going to figure out a formula of shot, two or three shots you feel comfortable with. But it just felt, if I was going to kind of summarize the difference, it's, it's just the variety of shots you need are so much more vast than in Europe. And, and I don't want to blanketly say Europe because you still need, being a European player, you're going to get lo- loads more different grasses and huge variety, but you probably really only need a couple of shots. Whereas I felt there was just an infinite amount of shots you could play around the green use the complexes in any sort of way um, to get the ball near the hole. And so that's something I think it asks you more questions, definitely. Well, we've, we've spent the first part of our chat here talking about like the, the one event that you haven't played well in the last eight months or so. Your play over really since the restart in Europe has been unreal. We've loved watching it. You've got 
in the 17 starts, you've got five top tens and nine of those events, top twenties. So consistently in contention, and we've loved seeing it. We've enjoyed watching seemingly every week it's wake up in the morning and see you're at least in the mix. So as happy as we are to see it, we're also curious. And I know that I probably won't be the first person that's asked you this, but I want to start the conversation here. What did you do over lockdown? What was that process like that you feel like would attribute to what is pretty steep increase in performance? Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, (laughs) uh, Lockdown really was a chance to do a bit of this, like what we're doing, talk to reflect, you know, think about what I was doing in golf and how potentially I could do things a bit better. So just a performance psychologist guy I was working with, Carl Morris, he just, he asked me that question. That was how it started. So, and, you know, a few things were recurring for me. I felt like it was a bit cyclical because I felt I've had brilliant advice from world-class coaches for a while. And I feel like at points I was getting somewhere 2017, I felt like I was getting somewhere with, with golf, and then, but it was I'd get in a cycle, and it's and then I'd look to perhaps other people to get me out of it. So I'd end up with a pretty hefty information stream that was all good, relevant information, but no real way of using it in a kind of coherent way and making it my own. And so that was the crux of what I tried to do. I just said I'm going to really think about what I think helps me play well and a couple of things that I've really changed in terms of what I've done with golf is I probably have spent I reckon I spend 90% of the time in golf on a golf course now not on a range or even on a putting green or a chipping green I'm trying to spend my whole time on the golf course and practice there use it as a training ground a bit more uh, whether that's trying to get competitive games doing there's a few different drills I like doing out there that are a bit fun and can just keep you engaged so that's Basically, I would say it. It sounds really uncomplicated, but I I think maybe that's why I like it. (laughs) You mentioned 90% of your time on a golf course now, and then you followed that with a bit more. What was the previous ratio? Like if you look back at 2015, 2016, or 2018 when things things went awry what was the ratio then did it flip significantly or was it in reality just a bit more well i think i've always looked for technical improvement and so i would say it'd be hard for me to say it was that percentage that percentage um Mm -hmm. but i suspect i was i mean i just was wasting so much time especially at an event It's it's incredible i look at it now and i think what what was i doing you know, preparing for a golf event on a Thursday because I'd be on the range and I, you know, I'd spend two or three hours on a range on a on a Tuesday when my ball striking was perfectly good and I didn't adequate put adequate time into the areas that would have actually had a performance benefit at that point. And truthfully, the time you know where I really felt like I did that well, and I'm not just saying that it was 2017 when I and you were involved with me. It was something that you were very hot on, but it's you know until I've just figured out for me, I'm. Unless I'm on a golf course engaged, learning about the golf course, that challenge on that week, I find myself, I just very easily get led astray from what's from what's effectively important. And so it's just, for me, it's just something I have to constantly flag and, you know, have my caddy and have Carl, who, and that's something that they're on me the whole time. I go and learn the golf course um, and, you know, figure that out basically much more um, in terms of a portion of your time. 
it sounds like if if I'm interpreting that answer correctly, it sounds like you've really taken some ownership over what you're doing from a technical perspective. So one, as I hear that answer, I'm interested in how your process or involvement with a technical coach has involved over this period. And then I'm really curious to hear you speak to kind of, it sounds like you're decluttered a little bit because if you're spending a lot of time on the golf course and less time on the range, working on technical pieces, then your mindset when you're on the golf course, the things that are going over your head over a shot in a tournament must be different if leading up to that time, it wasn't just a lot of technical thoughts and a lot of form focus. You must be freed up to play slightly differently. And that's a little conjecture on my part. I want to hear if that's if that's the case and if that's something that you've kind of taken away from this period as being part of the formula to maintain this level of play. Yeah, so the work I've done with a technical coach has been really with with alan thompson he helped me a few years ago but he's um he sort of jokes he's tried to retire about five times so i don't i don't think <laughs> he's kept things like pretty simple and but it's not been i kind of have deliberately not seen him much at events if at all really just tried to perhaps see him in an off week think about it myself i mean obviously I, i'm not here saying that you know i don't still work on my technique like if, of course you do like unfortunately this game like you have to <laughs> like in at points it's going to go off for no real reason and that's like there's a huge benefit to having a, a set of eyes you can put you on a, a good path because we know how easily you can get off it but the i think it's perhaps that coming back to your, to your first question it's more a preparation from a preparation standpoint about how i'm choosing or how i'm choosing to to see and myself as a golfer is I want to be a golfer <laughs> I don't want to spend a lot of time practicing the component parts of golf and not really being able to play the game very well and I know that sounds crazy like to say but that's when I was thinking about it myself I thought this is kind of where I'm at here is I can make my swing look a certain way and look pretty and do this but actually it's not do this this isn't doing me any good and it's I've been cyclical for a little while this and I know <laughs> I've had coaches probably try and push me on this path anyway but it's it's something um you know i think at the moment i'm looking at it fairly black and white and it's i need to spend almost all my time out there on the golf course immediately coming out of lockdown did you have a sense that you were going to do something that was special if not when did that kind of fully form in your head that you are a different person and you could be doing something different uh special being playing the best golf of your life. And then as a second part to that, I want to speak to, I want you to speak to the confidence piece when the confidence started to kick back in, when you realize, Ooh, I am doing something that's different than I've formerly done. That's better than I've formerly done any time previous to this and, and how you feel standing over it now or a, approaching a golf tournament. I didn't have a sense that anything special was going to happen. I think when after lockdown, I remember the first couple of tournaments, I was really quite edgy because I was trying a few new things in terms of, Obviously, like I've said, the, the preparation. And I think you naturally, as soon as you're feeling a bit edgy, you you want to revert to something that feels comfortable. So, you know, I, I didn't really, but the, we were able to play the first three or four events and I got my first of the top 10, <laughs> which, I was, which I was really proud of. And then, you know, I think perhaps that was a chance for me to say, okay, this is like, this does feel different. And actually, I felt like I was had a lot more energy. You know, I had more energy on a Saturday and Sunday. I was kind of just in a better headspace overall, really like knew the golf course, you know, well, as I'd played, I think my first three events in the UK swing, I, I played 45 holes in preparation. I mean, I would 
never have done that before. I might have played 18 or 27, yeah. so it was just like tough on my caddy, but um, <laughs> but great for for kind of knowing the golf course and really getting my head in, in that place. And from a confidence perspective, I think probably maybe after Italy, I start to feel... Sh- shooting 60 will do that. Gaining nine strokes on the field will do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was... But I think I had a good little run at tournaments, but I was quite quick to think, well, it's uh, so do that or so do that. But I, I do feel like I've slightly changed my operating system. So mm-hmm. although the results are great, the actual confidence I got was that this doesn't necessarily feel like I'm in a good run of form. It just feels like I'm operating a bit more, um, just more efficiently. Mm-hmm. So then all of a sudden, I think you can get yourself wrapped up in stories pretty quickly, can't you, with your own form, when's it going to end, all that kind of stuff. But I kind of got comfortable with thinking, actually, like I'm changed how I'm operating week to week. And so I know I'm not going to finish top 20 every week. No, no way. But I've got a better chance of doing that, you know, as I sit here now. Well, that, that's certainly how I feel. Yeah. Speak to how that change in the operating system has has raised the floor. So there's one thing of, all right, let's raise your ceiling. And that's usually what we're after. We're after that optimizing and saying, let's make sure that your best golf is better. But it's a totally different thing to say, let's just raise the floor. And it sounds a little bit like as I'm listening to that, that's what you've done. So are there things that you can point to that said, now my bad rounds or my bad holes are not as penal as they were. And then because I've raised my floor, now I have this consistency to where we are on Sunday mornings, I'm always seeing Lori's name somewhere in the mix, seemingly in the last last few months. So can you speak to the difference a little bit to raise just raising the floor, making the the B minus or the C plus weeks into you know positives? I still think my bad golf's really, really bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I know, I know it. Is, recency effect the, there. That's just recency, Laurie. Yeah, right. That's concession know, getting to you. Leave it, leave it there. Leave it in, leave it in Tampa or Naples or yeah, Bradenton. Sorry, it's not. It's not. It's. I mean, I played about as bad as I've ever played in at the Scottish Open, and then two weeks later, I shot sixty. It's, I still think it's almost maybe knowing that you know, Carl. Carl talks about something interesting. He says, in, you know, in a seventy-two hole event, you will be you'll be lucky if you kind of really play play good golf for more than maybe a round and a half so it's almost like you need to get when you are having those moments of struggle or really you might be struggling with ball control or chipping or putting or whatever it might be I actually think there's a lot to be said for just embracing that having a level of of acceptance within that saying you know I am I'm like really struggling but just going to hang in for nine holes and see what happens hang in for today see what happens and that sounds um really obvious and it sounds easy to do but I think when you do that and kind of go through that struggling period and then come out the other side and finish the week and have a really good week then you feel like that was really worth sticking with that and it's I think pros have a lot of different ways of expressing that I've heard about Justin Rose when he talks about waiting for his run you know and I think that is that's basically the art of golf isn't it I think you're dealing with a lot of things that you might have a hang up about your about your technical game or about your putting. And it's just effectively making sure that that scar never gets too big and accepting where you are at that point and just just sort of going with it, embracing it as well as you can. Um, because when you do come out the other side, I think that's, you know, potentially finishing a four-round event with a really good place in, who knows, winning an event. I mean, I think that's where you'd really gain a lot of confidence. 
Titleist has just introduced the all-new Titleist Pro V1 and Pro V1X featuring longer distance, softer feel, and increased control. There's no better ball in golf, and it just got even better. We've been having fun at Altus learning about the new improvements and testing them out with players. Most notably, the new Pro V1 and Pro V1X have been completely reimagined from core to cover. There's a new aerodynamic cover, casing layer, and core technologies that help deliver longer distance, softer feel, and even more green side spin and control. Having the right equipment and tools is such a massive part of earning an edge over the competition, and you've got to be able to trust that your golf ball will perform. And absolutely nothing performs like a Pro V1 and Pro V1X. Always bring your best. Go load up on the all-new Pro V1 and Pro V1X for the next level of total performance. Can you speak to that experience now that you have some of those instances as recently at the end of last season, like you're in a position to uh, win the final event of the year with a couple of holes to play. Uh, did you play it forward in your mind? Did you, did you get future thinking or were you able to compartmentalize and, and execute as the new Laurie Cantor taking that one step at a time and being uh, patient? Can you speak to that different experience of seeing yourself in contention now? What specifically at the DP World Tournament? Mm-hmm. Or yeah, even back in I Italy. Think, okay, in, ter- in terms of just how I felt when I was in contention, or yeah, for for, for any mere mortal, we're gonna we're gonna crap our pants, right? Now, I'm not saying that you guys or girls out there playing on the world stage don't experience similar feelings, but eventually you or immediately you grow some sort of mindset or some sort of strategy, some sort of set of skills that allow you to overcome that whether that overcoming means that you're triumphant and finish first or whether that overcome it means that you don't totally crap the bed and shoot yourself out of it in the final round when you're starting the final round in contention. And that's a lot of the conversations that we'll have for with the aspiring players, the player that you were back in 2013, 2014 as a, a, a new professional, right? Well, I think overcoming that's one of the hardest things that I think you can do. Uh, I know I've really struggled with it. I think for my first couple of years on tour, I used to find Thursdays okay. But I was looking back now, I was just putting an enormous amount of energy into Thursday, <laughs> relatively speaking. And then I found it quite easy to press the eject button on a Friday or a Saturday. And because I, I think you do just make it into a bigger deal than it actually is. But because you know, and I think it's if you're going to overcome something, you need to face into it. And you know, I've like played and practiced and dreamt about winning on tour, so. You know, there is no point in me saying, oh, I'm not nervous, I feel okay. I've always been all right with saying, oh, I'm nervous, I'm okay. Like, I'm, that is okay to feel like that. I'm not, you know, I'm not surprised. It'd be worse if you didn't, probably. So for, from my experience, facing into that and saying, okay, I, you know, I'm nervous here, but nerves, well, nerves are a type of energy. So can I use that positively for the rest of this week? And then potentially, most importantly, can I make sure I've got something left from Saturday or Sunday? Because... The amount of emotional energy I think that it takes. I'm not the best guy to ask this, I'm not a serial winner, but I'm gonna I'm gonna guess if you ask guys who've won loads and loads of tournaments, it takes a huge amount of emotional energy because you're you have to potentially sleep with the lead on the lead, answer the same sort of questions a lot, and that's just kind of off the golf course and then on it. Um, depends are you a leader or watcher, all those kind of things that play into that. The way I feel like I've Become and I, I haven't overcome this, but I'm happier in myself with it. Is I've just accepted that this is something I want, and this is something uh, this is effectively where I want to be. And I, I am nervous about it, but that's okay. 
you talk uh, as if you're not an expert on this because you haven't had that first win, but I, I don't think there's any more pressure filled situation than Q school. And you have this insane record. You're three for three, right? Three, five, three and five. Four, four out of five. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, and I, I think that it, as a, a young professional listening to this, they would probably like us just to talk about this with you the entire time, because there's, there's all these different pressure filled situations. And just the, the last couple of minutes, we've talked about being in contention on Sunday, but also then there's that, I want to make the cut on Friday. And then there's a Q school. There's all these different situations that we can frame in different types of ways, but as players, as coaches, it's helpful if we can figure out, well, what, what about this situation? Did I approach it to where I can use this in that variety of those pressure filled situations? So you've cracked the code a bit on Q school, which is where you're playing for your job. You're, you're playing for a place to play for a, a year. There's real consequence to that event that lasts far more than if I come up short on a Sunday, I get another chance the next week. So are there any, and maybe you answered it, but I, I want to dig into it because it's such a unique skill that you've exhibited in mastering this really strange arena in golf. Are there any strategies that you can point to or any kind of reframing that you've done that served you well in that really strange pressure-filled situation of Q school that then you're looking to apply to being in contention on Sunday, those different situations? I do think they're fundamentally different, trying to win on tour and getting a Q school card. They shouldn't be. I know the popular answer, or I know some people would say it's all golf, it's all just golf. But I, I always thought Q school, I never really understood why people got so wrapped up in it. Because it's, for me, it was just a phenomenal opportunity. Even losing the card and going back, I was like, in six days, you could have a tour card. It's Bernard, like it's an amazing opportunity in that respect. So that was kind of from a framing perspective. That's how I've always tried to go into that week. I think was that the second part of that question was skills. Well, that I feel well, like I, I, I would love, I, yeah. Or if there's strategies, like so. Again, because if I'm listening to someone that has had success in a situation where I desperately want success, I'm hoping that there's some strategies. I'm hoping that there's some tangible things that I can say. Okay, this is what Lori did. This is what helped him. So I'm going to try this out. And, and maybe there aren't. Maybe it's it's just. You're just the uh, the Q school uh, prodigy. I'm not sure. Well, Q school week. I can tell you my formula, and you could decide if you think there's anything yeah, sure. in it. But it's it's been to frame it as an opportunity, and then I I'm a complete recluse for the week. I don't stay with anyone, speak to anyone. I internalize a lot of stuff. Usually have a friend as a caddy, and basically feel like once we're off the golf course, we go back to our barracks. No one gets in our head for the week. That's what I've done. I, so, because I, yeah. I think it's just a, it's a, it's a place where, you know, it's not a hugely inspiring setup. Should we say at Q School? Like it's a, sure. it's a big clubhouse. There's a lot of players. There's a lot of noise. There's a, there's a big kind of truck with a leaderboard. It's, it's a bit bonkers. So I think like get in, get out. That's me. Okay. What, Have you tried that in a regular of, event? Well, yeah, the European Tour bubble. That's that's what you've been doing. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So <laughs> this is uh, this this is probably That's your cancer formula. This is, yeah, I, I, know I, I apologize <laughs> for our looser restrictions in Tampa this weekend. You just didn't know what to do. Well, I, w- I wish it was that easy, but potentially for me feeds into my perception is the, you know you need an enormous amount of energy to contend in a tournament. So yeah, leave some back. Don't 
burn yourself out talking rubbish about golf all evening, um, all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying you need to be a recluse and stay in a tent, but for me, certainly shutting myself away, not really letting people, too many people in my head, is, a, is probably a pretty good formula around a golf tournament. Yeah. So, sometimes letting ourselves in our head is, uh, not letting ourselves in our own head is also a very good formula, isn't it? So you mentioned a phrase, feeding into, and I want to ask the question, feeding into dot, 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 what did you feed yourself the morning you showed up and floated with 59? Italy. That was a kind of strange week. I'd, I'd had like a little bit of a back issue. So I'd had a couple of weeks off before, I think. Like genuinely, nearly didn't go. Then I was playing a practice round Tuesday and had to pull, I had to basically pull out. So then just me and my caddy, we walked 27 holes with butter and wedge on back end of Tuesday and Wednesday morning. But I hadn't, actually got on the range until I warmed up Thursday morning. Perfect. <laughs> so, had, so it was it was a re- like a really strange, strange week because I just practiced putting and chipping a lot on the golf course and genuinely hadn't hit a shot on the on the range. Um so my Tuesday practice side I'd gone to the physios and gone straight to the first team kind of seeing what I what I could do. So uh yeah it was a bit a bit bizarre and a bit of a surprise to be honest. I was expecting and kind of hearing about your year because we haven't had a chance to have a proper chat and catch up since you've played really, really well. And I was halfway expecting to hear some technical change, something that you made a shift in because I'm looking at a distance change. And obviously this is a, a pretty hot topic in professional golf right now. The advantage that being longer, you've always been long. Your first three years, you averaged like exactly 303 yards. And then last year it has a 10 yard increase. It's 313. And so I was expecting to see something that you would attribute that distance gain to. I want to know what it is. Is that something that was there any point? It doesn't sound like it, but was there any point where you consciously said, okay, we're all hitting it farther. I'm going to do something to pursue more speed, more distance, or is that just the byproduct of something physically uh, getting bigger and stronger or uh, maybe even equipment? I think what I've done around my driving this year is I've tried to develop a couple of different shots. Again, and that's come from being on the golf course. So in the past, I had a swing and I aimed at something and swung. And I would look up and hope it would go there. So I know that sounds a bit, a bit simple, but it's not a mile off what I was doing. You know, I might factor wind, that kind of stuff. But it was very much like do this and kind of hope it goes here a little bit. So I've, I've kind of developed what I think is four different shots now from the team with my driver. Um, and then, so it's a bullet, left, right, hold, left, right, fall, and then a shot called the boomer, which is in my caddy have a bit of a laugh at, but um, that doesn't come out very much. But And I think what I've done, what I've been able to do quite well with those shots is where we've had wind or difficult conditions. I think I've become comfortable hitting a shot and then I might be able to use the wind, use the ground better with that shot. And then also on other days where I feel like one of those shots isn't working, but one of them's working well, I'll just stick with that. And I think if I was going to kind of look at that distance and say, oh, you know, I've got on 10 yards, I'd say it's probably been around feeling like I can hit driver more and just being more confident with it. Because it's, I think, pretty easy for, you know, for two or three swings to kind of, if you're not committed to a target, certainly not committed to a shot, it's, it's a pretty easy thing to just, you know, bit flail at it fluff a little and yeah. fluff out there, isn't it? Yeah. So, and I, you know, I think, Certainly off the tee, I feel like I'm as committed as anyone. You know, it's something I, I 
kind of embraced as a strength. So I think, you know, let's look for opportunities to get my driver out, you know, rather than kind of just, just, I don't know how to say it. Yeah. So too, like effectively just wait for it to go wrong. I'm thinking, no, let's, let's use this. Let's, let's, um, let's create opportunities with what I think is my strength. Yeah. Laurie, as you've, as you've risen up the uh, world ranks, you've got to feel like that you're running the cusp of taking yet another step forward in your career. I would imagine at least, uh, be it more WGCs and majors and hopefully more time in America. At least we'd love to see you over here more in America for sure. And I know that that first win must be on your list as well. So how are you approaching that process of leveling up again? And maybe a more general way to ask the same sort of question is what's that mission map look like for you over the next 12 months? Like as you look out and say, clearly I want to play well in events, but how is that going to happen to an even greater level? I would love to play more WCs, majors, um, love that opportunity. I think unless you're playing and, you know, in that kind of field on the kind of golf course we played last week, the great thing about those opportunities are how exposing they are. You know, you will, you'll see it the best players in the world on some of the toughest courses but to give you an honest answer there's a couple of clear areas in my game that need to improve chip like chipping is i kind of feel like i'm just putting together a way that i think i can try and improve it week on week without completely tearing up the uh, what i do um and i think just generally around the greens i think there's there's some gains for me there but i don't know you guys would be better to answer this question than me. You know, it's. I think sometimes you can, can look to improve something, put a lot of energy into it and a lot of time, and you will improve it. But I wonder if, again, this comes back to a kind of a more wider element of playing golf, if if you'd actually improve at golf. Sure. <laughs> so, because I think there's so much to it. For me, I, I think, as I stand here, 97 or 8 in the world, if I was to get up to the top 50, I don't think my game would have to fundamentally change. I, I just have to get better at my game, which I think is always going to be based around hitting it well off the tee. And then it's it's kind of the non-negotiables, isn't it, that everyone has to do well to compete on the week. It's short, kind of short time, not making too many mental errors. Kind of, if, if you have something that you can base your game on and do the non-negotiables well, then I think you have a chance, don't you? Um, yeah. And I think my game, yeah, I, it's going to be really interesting to play a few more of these events and, and really see. But my, I, I'm pretty confident that I have a game that can get me get me close to that level. But it's it's really up to me to get better at doing what I do, rather than necessarily picking three or four things. Oh, I don't do that 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 well because I I suspect I could improve a lot of those things, maybe from a technical standpoint or performance standpoint. But I wonder actually if you then said how much of an effect did that really have in real terms on your game. It would, it would be interesting. So there's something I'm trying to think carefully about really. How does that realization, and I think that's a wise uh, place to be coming from, but how does that affect how you would look at how, how the reflection process and what that looks like, how you're looking at analytics? Because it, you're right. I mean, if you get into the the, the micro and the the week-to-week changes in performance, you can probably get bogged down in areas that aren't going to end up moving the needle in the end. So does that mean that stats go away and you're not looking at those at all? Or how are you identifying those areas? And and I want to know both from a skills perspective, but also from just how are you reflecting week to week on what you mentioned there about mental errors? How's my psychology? How's my mental performance week to week? Are there hard and fast, tangible ways that you've found to maybe have a formal reflection 
maybe on a week to week or, or, or longer periods of time? So stats, I use them probably like everyone. And I, well, I try to look at those with a decent sample size, perhaps five or six tournaments. I think then you could maybe start seeing a story. It's difficult one or two events to really pick something out, especially if the event hasn't gone well. So for, for me, my to answer your question about kind of reflecting in a psychological aspect would be um, I don't I no, I no longer carry a yardage book. I carry a book where I basically on every shot I'll mark an intent that I had for that shot and I have it and I get a tick if I if I was able to do it. So that if I get to the end of the day and I've got kind of twenty five and above ticks, it's just I'm letting you into the inner sanctum here. That's my process. Yeah, that's that's it. I I want my sort of belief is that the you know your body most of the time is going to organise itself around what you're trying to do. So give it a clear and simple task as much as you can. Hope that you your mechanics give yourself you know a higher mechanical chance of hitting that and doing that, and that's where you need the help. But it's down to me as the player, as the athlete, to say, this is what I'm trying to do, you know, being really clear. And I think it's amazing how easily such a simple thing can you can get away from that. You know, it's, it's okay to say, you know, that's the fairways there. It's harder to say the type of shot you're going to shoot, how the ball's going to run, how you're going to use the wind, what specifically is your target, all those sort of things. That's a, I think that gives your body a much clearer objective um, and sort of my belief is the more you do that the better you'll be ultimately so that's in terms of my review process that's something i look at every day at the end of the day i'll finish with my my black book where i've written yeah. my intent for every shot and whether i was able to to effectively match my intent and whether i'd hit the ball down the channel when i'm aiming at a green and that's my review process there really it's more important than stats for me at this stage yeah so th- there's clearly been a shift in from being too technical, being on the range too much to now being on the golf course a lot and being more in performance mode. So now I'm curious, I'm not sure when you play again, but you had a poor week putting. There has to be that default reaction that's in your DNA from years and years of reacting this way. It's like, okay, I need to go to the putting green. I need to go get some form work done. Or even let's say that you do have a week where the ball striking that the, you have your four weapons that you, that you discuss and not enough of those weapons are working. And you feel like there needs to be a a mechanical or a technical solution to that. So I'd love to hear how you plan or how you have over the last period here. How do you balance that? to know that, all right, I'm going to have to have some technical work here, but I know that if I get too far down this road, that's where I've gone wrong before. So what is the the plan moving forward to make sure that you find that balance? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> you did mention it earlier though. You spoke about accountability. You spoke to your caddy kind of reminding you or dragging your butt off the range, right? I mean, there's got to be some responsibility that exists outside of you that you delegate to your team no 100% yeah 100% i think if you don't use the people around you then you know that's that's part of of being i think good and improving because you need to take feedback on use it correctly all that kind of stuff mine's you know having seen what happened with my putting last week i'd probably ask myself two or three questions about it or have asked myself two or three questions about it i did after friday i said you know basically how am i 
I love picking this up so much. <laughs> Sorry, how am I getting this so wrong? It's all right. Um, and and for me, it was there was like clearly a big speed issue because I was like, I'm not. I don't feel I'm struggling with the start lines, that kind of stuff. But my speed's way out here. And then I have a lot of drills that are that I can do that help me with speed. Plus, you can go out the next day and focus more on speed. So I know that sounds stupid, but again, I think having that as a as a focus, I'm gonna I'm gonna have great speed today. Right. I don't that's again I'm I'm setting my I, as I perceive it, I'm setting my body a task and then I, I think I have a better chance. Now if I yesterday my putting I gained a shot. So um I proved to myself I can I can I can put on these games. Yeah. There's definite room for improvement in my putting is especially yeah, kind of there's a mid range like Kind of eight to fifteen feet, where my perception and the stats tell me I don't hold enough. If that, if that's consistently showing up for me, that's a great time to go and get some input, get someone who really knows what they're doing to to have a look, give you some direction. Because I think then, as a player, I'm going armed with something I need. Versus if we take it take it back before, I would I'd turn up and say, "Fix me, help me," and right. that I'm not. I don't know how a coach can help me in that scenario. I'm not, I'm not giving them direction, which is the very thing I need. So mm-hmm. I think, again, it comes down to the review process, having those people around on your side, probably looking in and seeing where are these patterns emerging. But then also me as the player, being a bit more accountable to, to what I'm asking for, if that makes sense. Yeah. And as I hear you, you have that answer and really listening to you the entire time here. One of the cool things uh, when we have these conversations and, you know, when, especially with a veteran, with someone who's played for a long time and has had success a long time, there's such an assurance about their formula. Like this is what I do. And they communicate it very clearly. And there's a lot of conviction behind, I figured this out over time. I failed enough times to now I know that this is what I do. And that's what you sound like right now, which for us is just exciting, man. Like we, we, I, I may be revealing too much about myself and my own character, but I don't know that there's been another former client of Altus that gets like 100%. I am cheering all in for this dude. And it's just been fun, man. It's been fun to, to watch you. You play well. We're happy for you. Uh, I don't know when you're, you're playing again, but we're going to be cheering our asses off for you again, man. And I wish you continued success. And I'm hoping to see you, like, like we said, over here a little bit more often. Uh, but thanks for spending a little bit of time and, and answering the questions that we had as coaches is what's changed with Lori. And it sounds like there's been a lot of good things that you figured out. And I, I know that will lead to continued success, man. That's really kind. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thanks, I, I really enjoyed talking. So thank you. Yeah. We'll do it yeah. over a beer soon or a glass of wine, uh, hopefully over here soon. Okay, buddy. Awesome. Look Cheers, forward to next time, Larry. Bye-bye. See you. Cheers, you Cheers, Cheers, Cheers. See you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. We're also pretty active on Instagram, so follow at Altus Performance, and you can also follow on Twitter at Team Altus. If you haven't done so, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast, leave a review, share it with others, and be sure to stay tuned to future episodes of Earn Your Edge. Thanks for listening.